So guys, I, uh, you know, I, I, my, my wheels have kind of been turning, you know, all week. I thought I was going to preach one thing on Tuesday, I kind of changed my mind on Thursday, and about Friday evening, it kind of came to me, and it was a lot of studying and stuff, so I don't feel like I know this as well as I should, because normally I'd pour over it all week, all week, and I would kind of know it. Um, but I know that I do have a word from the Lord um, from you. And before I pray, I'd like to start with Revelation 19.9. Um, so coming from the book of Revelation, uh, John's vision. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These things are the true sayings of God. And all this is going to wrap around. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the title of my message today, Come to the feast. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your presence here in this place, Lord, that even though it did get tough and set up was tough, we were never, you know, we were never worried. We were never anxious, Lord, for you took all that away. We knew you were going to be glorified, that if we would do our part, Lord, you would do yours and your spirit is here. And we want to thank you so much just for being here and being present with us, Lord. There really is no one like you. And I pray, Lord, that as I, as I speak through this message, Lord, that you will, you'll open our eyes and help us see, Lord, what you would have us to see. Open up our ears, Lord, so that we can truly hear your word, Lord. Let us not sleep, let us not slumber, Lord, but really be attentive to your word, for I believe that is a true sign, Lord, of our spiritual conditions, that our ears are eager to hear your word, not just coming here and trying to get through it, Lord. May every person here have ears, attentive ears, to hear today what the Spirit doth say to us at Lifeline Community Church, Lord. Open up our minds so we can know and understand these, Lord. You've opened up my mind just in this last day or two about things that are so great, Lord. And I know I'm ill-equipped to bring this to people, Lord. I know I'm ill-equipped to change a heart, but You, Lord, speaking through me and speaking through Your Word can change a heart. Reach down into the soul of a man and change it from darkness to life. Make all things become new, Lord. There is no one like You. But most of all, Lord, as we listen to Your Word, will You open up our hearts so that we fall in love with You, the King of kings and Lord of lords, even more, Lord, for You have invited us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. May we all come to the feast. In Your name we pray. Amen. So guys, when looking at concepts such as marriage, marriages, okay, you got to know a little bit about the cultural differences, okay? I mean, we know how marriages work here in America. I mean, anything kind of goes sexually before marriage. Uh, marriage is kind of treated like just a extension of the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. You know, if you're pretty much in and out of relationships as a teenager, a young adult, you know, all of a sudden you meet this one person and you think, well, this is finally it, I'm going to stay. And you realize that your patterns have created something in you. And, you know, and that's why we see, you know, such a high uh, divorce rate, even among Christians. 
No, because marriage is treated a little differently here in America than what you would see back then in the, in the Jewish culture. So just to give you a little bit of insight, and this is by no means exhaustive. This is just one example of uh, the way they treated, you know, sexuality and all that kind of stuff back in the day. Deuteronomy chapter 22, starting in verse 28. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, okay, nobody, you know, have never had sexual relations, who is not betrothed, that word is going to be very important to us today, betrothed, and seizes her, and lies with her, you know, has sexual relations with this woman, and they are found out. Okay, you, you are busted. You are found out. Verse twenty-nine. Look what has to happen. The man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver. Now those mean nothing to me or to you. So I tried to do the little research. Um, 50 shekels of silver would be equivalent to about 6.3 months worth of work. So a person making $60,000 a year, okay, if he slept with this young virgin, they were found out, okay, this was what they, that he was supposed to do. He would pay $33,000 if he made 60000 a year, to the father, and she shall become his wife, okay, because he's humbled her, he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. Now you talk about would change the culture here in America. You would probably think about who you slept with and who you enticed or, or whatever, because... You know, the, the the penalty or whatever, you better love the girl and, and be ready because this was the penalty, you know? And now, I mean, the virginity, you know, her purity, it was something valuable, you know? I mean, this was something extremely... You took something valuable from my daughter and in no way does this repay, but you do the honorable thing You fork out $33,000 of your money and you marry her and you treat her well because you took something valuable from her. And then today, that is, you know, purity and virginity is so easily thrown away. The people that own it, the people that have it, will so easily give it to the first boy that comes along and says, you look pretty. Or the first boy that comes on and says, I love you, you know. But but this was something to be valued. And I wish that's something we could bring back to America is just the value of being pure. But this betrothal thing, it was a marriage agreement much like our engagements, but much different. Usually it lasted one year, okay? It could last longer. And for all intents and purposes, you were officially married. You had all the benefits of marriage except there was no living together, no sexual relationship, but the agreement was legal and binding. 
It was so legal and so binding that should a man die during the, the uh, betrothal process, the period, the spouse was considered a widow. Okay? And this puts a little more, I guess, teeth into it when you think about Mary being betrothed to Joseph when God chose her. They were in that betrothal period. So, so no wonder Joseph was so hurt when he found out she was with child. Because, you know, anybody would not have believed, well, God came and He got me pregnant somehow. I didn't actually have sex. Yeah, right. You know, I, I believe that. You know, he had a very tough time dealing with that so much that he said, look, I will put her away quietly. Because had he wanted to, he could have had her stoned. He could have killed her because, you know, this whole agreement was broken. It was legal and binding. But Joseph obviously loved Mary because he said, I'll agree to put her away quietly. I don't want her hurt. I don't want her, you know, to, to die. Of course, I don't, I don't want that. And so, of course, you, you know, you know, the rest of the story, you know, God came to, jo to Joseph in a dream. And he said, listen, it is mine. It is the child, you know, that's born to you. And he, he knew everything that Mary, that Mary knew. So to be betrothed was to be completely committed. Completely. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are betrothed to Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. Paul here is basically calling himself the friend of the, of the bridegroom. The friend of God because he's saying, listen, I have betrothed you, Corinthian church, to Jesus Christ, and I want to present you as a chaste virgin, very pure to Christ. And this would actually happen. I read this as I was studying that the, 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 the bridegroom would send a friend to watch over the bride, almost like keep an eye on them. And you know, when you think of the Holy Spirit being our our friend of the bride who comes in us and, and he says, listen, I want you to be pure. I, I will convict you when you do wrong. I want to be that friend inside of you so that when it's time to be presented at the marriage that you are pure and you are spotless. So, so Paul is taking this upon himself that I will be the friend of the bridegroom. I will watch over you because I want you to be pure. I want everything to go right on the day you meet your bridegroom. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is, that is in Christ. You know, this is a simple thing. You commit to Him. You give your life to Him. And you are completely committed to Him. It is simple. You know, no other 
lovers. You are in the process, a legal and binding agreement. All you have to do is wait. Keep yourself pure because the day is coming when you will be with your bridegroom. So after the betrothal process was a feast. So after a year of being betrothed, there would be a wedding feast. Okay, It's not like our receptions that last a couple hours. These things would last a week or more, which gives you a little insight of why they needed so many barrels of wine when Jesus performed His first miracle. It's like, why do you need that much wine at a reception? Because it's not like we're thinking. This goes on for a long period of time, a week, sometimes even more, depending on the affluence of the family doing this, of, of, put, of throwing the feast. So here's where I got this today, and here's the message for us. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1, okay, think of the title, Come to the Feast. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like, okay? He said, this is the example, the earthly example that you can see that I'm going to be able to give you to, 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 for you to relate to the heavenly realm, okay? You know, those things are so great. Here is the example, the best example I can come up with to give you. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, okay? A king who arranged a marriage for his son. So in all that context right there that I gave you, we're going to be talking about this. And this king sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Okay, Here was the first time around, the first invitation. Okay, And his first invitation, we know now, was to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Basically, everybody outside of Abraham's family was excluded from this invitation. Salvation has not really been offered to all until Jesus Christ came. So he sent his servants to call those. The first call, come to the feast. Okay, And that's, that's the first thing we got to realize about Christianity. It's not lame. It's not, well, I'll have to give up having fun. It is a feast prepared by God, our Father in heaven. Anything you give up for Him is going to be returned ten times, a thousand times greater because Christianity and knowing God is a feast. And they were not... He sent out his servants to call. They were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. This first time around, go to verse 4. Okay, that first time around, they were indifferent. They had this invitation from the king, from the God of heaven. And he said, come to my feast. And they had a take it or leave it attitude. Lack of interest, lack of concern for this feast. It was unimportant to them. It seemed a mediocre thing. If I have time, maybe I can. So they failed to see the importance 
of obviously the king and what he was offering. How many people don't understand the invitation to follow Christ, to lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me? You would not, nobody would reject if they really understood who he is and what he is offering. Old things pass away, all things become new. That was the first invitation. Again, he throws out a second invitation. He sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. I'm going to give them a little more details because they obviously don't understand. See, I have prepared my dinner, a king's feast. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. They're the best in the land. And all things are ready. It's ready right now. Come to the feast. What's their response? Verse 5. They made light of it. No feast. It's food just like everybody else, right? What's the big deal? And they went their own ways. One to his own farm. He had work to do. Work is better than your feast. I gotta build a life for myself. I gotta, I gotta pay my bills. I got better things to do than come to your feast. Another to his business. One word's trans, trans, uh, translated merchandise there. I got stuff I bought that I gotta play with. And I got Xboxes to play. I got, I got text. I got people to text. I got an iPhone. I got TV. I got cable. I got NFL Sunday pass. I've got stuff to do. They made light of his feast and honestly felt they had better things to do than come to this feast. And the rest, they seized his servants, treated them spitefully. And killed them. So on the second one, they had two responses. One, I got better things to do. Two, hostility. There, you know, here the king is trying to give them something good. And they know they seize the Jeremiah's and they throw the Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednego's into the fire. They throw the Daniels into the lion's den. They, they kill, they try to kill and seize the prophets. And all he's trying to do is offer them an invitation to his feast. What's wrong with these people? Now the king responds. He gave the people a chance to respond. Now it's his turn to respond. The king heard about this. He was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And most scholars agree this happened in 70 AD. Over a million Jews were killed when Rome destroyed Israel was completely done. There was no more Israel as a nation after 70 A.D. 
And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. I've got everything prepared. But those who were invited, they were not worthy. Their response proved their worthiness. Are you indifferent? Well, it's not that big of a deal. You're not worthy. You got better things to do. I got to make some money. I got other things to do that are way cooler than read this Bible and serve the living God. Then you're not worthy. Are you hostile? I don't need anybody telling me what I can and can't do. I don't need church. I don't need you. You're not worthy. Okay? That was the first three responses. So, what after Jesus? He gave, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever, anybody, all nations, all tongues, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The invitation changes right here. Therefore, okay, I've wiped Israel off the map. Here's what, here's what I want you to do now. Go to the highways. It is interesting that when this was written, when Jesus came on the scene, that Romans have, were starting to perfect the road system. You could actually go other places by means of roads. And so Jesus comes when there is a highway system and people write this stuff down and they send it through the roads to other people, to other countries. It was just the, the first internet kind of, but you had to take it to places. And as many as you find, whoever invite to the wedding, come to the feast. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, look at this, both good and bad. Now Jesus has flat out said there's no one good. So this is from our perspective. Who is the invitation for? Good people who do everything right, who don't cuss, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do. None of that kind of stuff. Okay? You'll get that later. Now... The good people come to the feast. But it says both bad and good. It does not matter what you have done in the past. If you have a breath in you, the invitation to come to the feast stands. Come to the feast. But, but I got this. Come to the feast. But you don't know what I've done. Come to the feast. Both good and bad people come. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11. But when the king came to see the guests. Okay, now here's the part that hasn't happened yet. We're still in the invitation period. It doesn't matter what you've done. You have an invitation to come to the feast. But this is a future look into the king's response. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now, another thing that we have to understand from back in the day, okay? 
The Jews had these wedding garments that basically to me looks just like a blanket kind of wrapped around you. And, and, and it was very, at the time, the, the king or the father would provide these garments. So if you wanted to come to the wedding feast, you must receive a garment from the father and wear that to the feast. Now, poorer families would have maybe something smaller, but this is the king. This is the king offering you to come to his feast. He provides you with the garments. If you want to go, you must take that garment and wrap yourself in it. And then that lets everybody know you were invited and you are supposed to be there. So... When the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a garment. So this means there were two responses. The first was the response of acceptance. Yes, I will come to your feast. Thank you for the opportunity to save me. Thank you. You know, I will be there. And they put on the garment and they go to the feast. But the other response was a response of deception. I want to go, but I don't want to put on what you've asked me to. I want the reward but don't make me go through the process that you've asked me go through. And he said to this man who had come in by deception, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, I want you to bind this man hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He knew the invitation. He received the garment just like everybody else, but he refused to put it on. Get this man out of here and he's gone to a place called hell, which we talked about last week. For many are called, many, so many have the chance, but few choose. Few are chosen. Now one thing I did kind of miss right here that I did want to say, that the Jewish nation yeah, was destroyed in 70 A.D. And just in case you think we're not in the last days, because we've seen Israel on our map, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal because it seems like we've always known it. But for 1,878 years, it stayed no Israel on the map. But in 1948, it became a nation again, right before our eyes. Just 68 years ago, Israel was back on the map. So that invitation now is for all. 
Once again, the Jews are included in this invitation. The invitation is for all. And what is your response? I receive the invitation. I receive my garment of righteousness. Yes, I will put it on and I will come to the feast. Or are you like the majority? I can't help but think it's the majority of American Christians today who say, yes, I want to come to the feast. But don't make me do anything else. I'll say a prayer. I'll check a box. I'll join a church. I'll show up on Sunday. I'll do something every once in a while. But that's it. I want the joys of heaven, but don't make me put anything on. What will you do with the invitation today? The invitation comes from Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this. Knowing the time. Okay? Got a little off. That's when I was going to tell you about the Israel thing. Okay? But you already know that. Knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. What have you done in here all day? Have you been fighting sleep? It's an indicator of your spiritual condition. And I want you to know that now it is high time to awake out of your sleep. Hadn't cared anything about reading this word lately? It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand for 2,000 years almost. This invitation has been given. Come to the feast. It don't matter if you're good. It don't matter if you're bad. The night is almost over. The darkness and wickedness of this world is almost over. And the day is almost at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Before you can put on a wedding garment, there might, there's some stuff you gotta take off. Take off the stuff from the darkness. Take off the stuff from the old life. Take off the old ways and let us put on. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and wild partying and see when the next time we can go out and get drunk and get high and get wasted. Not in lewdness of, of pornography and sexual immorality and lust. Not in strife and in envy warning what everybody else has got needing more and more. Praying to God you hit that lottery so you can buy a new mansion or give whatever. None of that stuff. Put that stuff away. And put on. Here's the garment that He offers to everyone. Mickey, you want to come on up? Here's the garment He offers to everyone. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Guys, that's the invitation. What do you do with Him? He's not somebody that you just say some prayer to and think that everything's going to work out and you get heaven and you die. No, He is a garment that you put on. And so many people believe 
that they are right with God, but they have failed to put Him on. And I want nobody in here to stand before Him on that day and then look at you and say, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Guys, I'm trying to be the friend of the bridegroom and tell you guys, we must be righteous. We must be Holy without holiness, no person in this room is going to see the Lord. I'm here to tell you that Christianity is not boring. I thought it was too as a teenager and a young adult. But the more I read this and the more I do it, the more I realize there is more for me to do and there's more for me to learn because this is not a meal, it's a feast. Guys... I don't know where you are with the Lord. But if you will, stand, close your eyes, begin to pray. And in your mind's eye, if you come down here and you join me, I just want you to picture kneeling down and receiving the garment, the wedding garment that makes you pure and holy. You don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because He said the invitation is for good and bad. You just have to put Him on. And that's how He knows you were invited and you are welcome to come to the feast. All who will, join me. Father God, I thank you so much just for your just the awesome sense of your presence, Lord. Help us to get it, Lord. Help us to understand, Lord, the, the magnitude of what you're offering, Lord. Who the certain King is, the God of the universe, Lord. And you offer us, Lord, dead, soulless Christians, soulless sinners, the invitation to let old things pass away and all things become new and you put life in us, Lord, and you awaken our soul. It's an amazing thing and an amazing process. Help us to get it, Lord. We can't truly, truly get it without your Holy Spirit, Lord. May you fill each one. Lord, clothe us in righteousness. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. And may we be a church that changes this community, Lord. Make us Lifeline Community Church and lead us and guide us so that we are the ones, Lord, that help uh, shape this community and bring the lost, Lord, into the light. I love you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.